CJAM 99.1 FM, your only true sound alternative in Windsor, Detroit. CJAM broadcast from the University of Windsor locally at 99.1 FM and to the world at www.cjam.ca. Hello, welcome, and thank you for tuning in to our show, Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio on CJAM 99.1 FM. This is Victor, your host for the afternoon, alongside your co-host, Mark. Here's a quick recap of Pro Bono Students Canada as an organization if you're tuning in for the first time. So Pro Bono Students Canada, or PBSC for short, is a national organization of pro bono students with chapters in 22 Canadian law schools. PBSC is the first pro bono organization in the country, and it works with law schools and the bar to deliver high-quality legal services. PBSC was established in the fall of 1996 at the University of Toronto Faculty of Law. Since then, it's gone on to have a presence in 22 of 23 law schools in Canada. At PBSC, we have an extensive program where students are given the chance to be placed in areas that recognize um, specifically focusing on access to justice. In fact, Supreme Court Justice Rosalie Abella has described PBSC as one of the most visionary undertakings I have seen in my 40 years at the bar. PBSC has a mandate, which is threefold. First, to train future lawyers by providing practical, supervised learning experiences for students. Secondly, to increase access to justice for low-income individuals and nonprofit organizations. And finally, to promote a culture of pro bono in the profession. So, as we know, legal services can be quite expensive, and many of those in the community are unable to retain legal counsel. Having organizations like Pro Bono Students Canada is a great way for many of us as law students to get a chance to help out in the community and to see the side of those who otherwise might not have access to lawyers. So, definitely, it's a great chance for all of us to take part in um, pro bono work under a supervised environment with uh, lawyers from the local community. 
So before we get into our show today, I'd like to actually do a brief intro of myself and my co-host Mark so you can get to know us a little bit better before we embark on our journey together of legal discovery and commentary. So both of us are former Mustangs turned Lancers, so we're uh, horses that picked up uh, spears, I guess. <laughs> but uh, definitely, we both went to Western for our undergrad. Um, I did my undergrad first for two years at Media Information and Technoculture, and then two years at Ivy Business School. And Mark, you... Uh, yeah, I uh, I did uh, my undergrad in international relations. Um, it was really cool. It was sort of a, a mix of political science and a history. Um, but by the end of it, I... Uh, I think I took like a pretty a pretty good bunch of both courses, so I couldn't say that I like one side more than the other. How about you? Did you like uh, FIMS or uh, Ivy more? You know, that's a great question because I think both of them were very so interesting and they were so different in their approaches, uh, not just to uh, interpretation of problem solving, but also how they taught us. So definitely with FIMS, we had a lot of Socratic method. With Ivy, there was the case-based discussion. So it's definitely interesting to see different means of you know, learning from different programs. And yep. then, of course, you know, um, being able to go to Western was definitely a great experience for us. And um, I'm excited to be a part of Windsor now, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, my favorite thing, I think, so far about Windsor is uh, definitely the community. Um, mm -hmm, for sure. When I, I remember I was, uh, you were actually there at the open house at McCarthy Tetro. And mm -hmm, um, yeah. I think it was, what, March? Uh, yeah, I was there and I got to meet the administration and they were all so friendly and Absolutely. they took the, um, the time out of their day and they made effort to actually know who I was and to remember who I am. Because I remember when I came during uh, orientation week, they pointed me out and I was like, oh my God, like I remember you, you were at McCarthy Tetro. And here I am just like deer eyed, like, whoa, what? You remember who I am? So yeah. that's definitely a unique experience that I haven't gotten so far, you know? Same, same. And uh, it was interesting because we were both together at that uh, first McCarthy Tetral event. It's where we actually met. Right. And, and now the dream team is assembled. Yeah, here look at us our, now. Um, just PBSA radio show. Right? Just It all comes full circle. We just, I can't get away from you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, right now, uh, I wanted to ask a little bit about you as well. Like, why did you choose to come to Windsor Law? Um, definitely give the people of our show some insight into why we're here at uh, Windsor for our law education. So uh, I guess let me start off with why law school first. Mm -hmm. I, um, so my program, like I said, was international relations. And at first I was very interested in working in government and policy. Um, I actually had the dream of becoming a diplomat. Um, you know, right? Right. It looks really cool. Um, but I remember in my fourth year, we had this uh, capstone project where we are essentially writing a policy paper and we mm -hmm. wanted to send it off to the government just to, like, you know, suggest certain things. Right. Yep. Um, but what I realized is a lot of that stuff is what we would be doing as a career if I went into that field of study and everything. And don't get me wrong. I absolutely loved it. But there's something about being told to do something that just makes it suck you know it's like if yeah. you love playing soccer it's like oh i love kicking this ball but then once your mom comes and it's like hey kick that ball you're like oh i don't want to do that anymore you know mm -hmm. exactly. so then i sort of looked around and i'm like oh, what are other options what are things i can do like i still want the option to be able to you know do research and be able to look at policy implications of things but um i also wanted a more practical degree and everything so i looked at law and law just 
I don't know, it fit with me. Also, I also made the mistake of uh, telling my family that I wanted to be a lawyer um, <laughs> in high school. So that's always something that's a that binding agreement, isn't it? it almost, <laughs> <laughs> when it yeah. comes to family, you know, they um, they they would bring it up every now and then, like, ah, so what are you planning on doing after school? And there I was, like, ah. Um, and then why Windsor? Um, so I'm actually kind of from here. I I lived here for a little bit uh, when I was younger. Uh, I also lived in London, so uh-huh. I seem to have just hit up all my old places. I went to Western, and now I'm at Windsor, and it's like I keep coming home, I guess. So, yeah, Windsor just – it was home for me, so I wanted to come see it one more time. How about awesome. you? Yeah, so me, for what I did um, business, I focused a little bit on marketing. And when I was at, at working, I worked – so I unlike you, I actually worked a couple of years before graduating um, to come to school. And I just noticed that, you know, trends in the industry where there's a lot of um, tech uh, – I wouldn't say revolution per se, but there's a lot of like increase in tech and it's changing the way how people do business. And as I thought about like, you know, all these changes are happening so quickly. And as we know, you know, law can be notoriously slow to catch up to many of these changes. You know, innovations can occur, you know, on on a, like a daily basis even. But, you know, it takes so much time and so many people involved to be able to you know, amend statutes or bring cases to court. So definitely wanted to be a part of uh, this technological revolution uh, is a big part of why I chose to come to Windsor. And I had a and an interest in intellectual property, specifically uh, copyrights oh. and trademarks. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, as we know, Windsor is one of the most well-regarded Canadian schools for intellectual property on top of being, you know, close to the border with Detroit and having an IP clinic right there. So, you know, our professors at Windsor as well. So I give a shout out to Professor Aoun, Professor Thomas, and Professor Chaplain, and many of our other professors who are special, um, you specialize in intellectual property law. So definitely it's a big drawing point for why I chose to come to Windsor from a legal education and uh, as you touched on this as well just the culture with the administration but also our classmates as well it's definitely been a great experience for me so far uh, here at windsor because you know um everyone here has been friendly we've all been definitely helping each other as 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 best we can and the entire culture here is one that i you know it makes me have faith in being a lawyer because we, we've always thought well, lawyers argue lawyers are argumentative everything's about winning and losing you know if you're a lawyer you must go to court but having spent some time at windsor i feel like you know that attitude that myth almost is being dispelled as we get to see you know what lawsuits really are like and we're not all people who you know get into arguments at a drop of a dime we're not all people who are just constantly looking around being like no you're wrong and so having this kind of culture shift um well at least a, a perception of uh, a certain culture in my in my head and then coming to windsor is like okay this is something i can get behind i really would enjoy um getting my education here nice nice so have you ever been to windsor before you uh thought of applying here or? you know what's interesting i actually hadn't gone to windsor the first time i came to windsor was to um to check out my rental place and uh, so oh. it was oh so you you pulled up completely yeah. Fresh-eyed, you didn't know anything Completely. about here, right? Yeah, and the town is really nice too. But um, certainly, the elements of how big Ontario is, and it never really struck me until I realized, you know, I did my undergrad at Western, and from um, GTA where I live to London, it was like, oh man, that's a long car ride. And then it was like, well, guess what? Surprise! Windsor is double that. I was like, oh, Ontario, it really is a big place, yeah. and you know, like it's almost like a whole other area. Uh, of the province because like Southwest Ontario it's different from you know uh, the GTA it's different from Eastern Ontario so it definitely is interesting to see like all in one province how there's so many different uh, cultures even um, and attitudes prevailing attitudes within different cities and different regions so it's definitely fascinating to be able to see more of the province that we live in yeah 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 my uh, 
I just wanted to come back home. So, <laughs> no, I mean, you yeah. definitely but had a great experience here yeah, at home, right? Yeah, it's interesting. We all, it's it's cool talking to everyone and seeing the reason why they came to Windsor. Um, like, like especially what drew them here. Some people, like before I met you, I didn't know Windsor had a strong IP program here. That yeah. that's something I never even thought of looking into. Other people, they're from here, or you know, they yeah, they really like the the border city vibe to it. So it's just. It's really cool just being able to sit down and talk with law students. Oh, absolutely. And I can't wait to hear um, how our guest, uh, Olivia, today is going to talk about her experience with it as well. Oh, indeed. Indeed. All right. So I think it's going to bring us to our next point in our show, which is Mark is going to discuss with us a local story uh, that relates to the uh, theme of our show today, which is specifically about uh, rentals and uh, real estate landlord-tenant agreements. It's time for What's in the News. Every week, we're going to find a local news story to discuss. Sometimes they're going to be related to a highlighted project. Other times, it's just going to be a feel-good story that we wanted to share. But what's the same about all of them is that they are all local stories. So today's article is, Builder of the City's First Shipping Container Home Hopes to Solve the Housing Shortage from the Windsor Star. I think that you guys will find that this one fits really well with this week's project. So, this story was actually really interesting. I was just uh, on the news app on uh, my MacBook. It's pretty cool, you know, you just pull up this app and it shows all the news stories and relevant ones there. And I went to the section for Windsor, and this is straight out of the Windsor Star. This story highlights the building of Windsor's first shipping container home, or 10,000 pound Lego, as the developer Nick Foster calls them. (laughs) So apparently these homes can be built every four days and range from 320 to 1,400 square feet. I know apartments in Toronto that aren't even 1,400 square feet. Isn't that something? These container homes include everything you would get in a traditional home. For example, I read that one unit has three bedrooms, two baths, a kitchen, air conditioning, a walk-in closet, and even a balcony. Remind you, these things are the same containers that go on, like, the boats. You know, the massive shipping containers? That's that's amazing. Just the things that these engineers can do. So, th- this is currently just a pilot project in Windsor, um, but the eventual goal is to fill any vacant lots um, with as many of these units as possible. This could be a very feasible solution to the housing crisis here in Windsor. So, with the rise in popularity of tiny homes that we see on TV, I can really see people starting to buy into this. But of course, the lawsuit in the me already has a hundred questions racing through my head. Of course. How do you classify these homes? Will Ontario need new legislation to accommodate for all the unique issues that come with living in one of these homes? I could go on, but honestly, you guys get the point. I don't want to bore you here. So, I guess the last question that I want to ask is, would you live in one? You know... I think this is an interesting uh, concept because definitely a lot of us, when you think about what we do when we're home, essentially we spend most of our time either in the bedroom or in the kitchen or either eating or working or sleeping. Um, the common areas of a home, a lot of times, wind up just being filled with clutter. So I can definitely see the merit in having these tiny homes because in an era of efficiency that we need to live in for um, housing and for supply and demand, I do think these tiny homes definitely represent a very great opportunity for many people who right now might currently be marginally housed or maybe not even at all to have an opportunity to have affordable living so i think it's a great idea actually yeah honestly and i lived in residence for two years so trust (laughs) me i'm used to living in a small space but even at that you really learn to live with it like for example in my room now it's 
bigger than I've ever had. So I have clothes everywhere, you know, I'd bring a dish, keep it there and everything. But when I was in residence, because it was such a small space, I had uh-huh. to really make use of it. And I got really smart with it. I was better at organizing, you know. I all, honestly didn't even spend much time in my room because it was so small. So it forced me to be more social. I would study on campus. I would go hang out with people. So I can really see the social benefit coming from this as well, you know. That's actually really interesting. I hadn't thought about the social benefits too. Um, a lot of us, I don't want to say our homes come off as like maybe traps per se, but they do have a way of keeping us in home. Like sometimes when you want to go out, um, but you're just so comfortable at home. If your home was perhaps a bit more austere, a bit more, um, you know, maybe bare bones, you definitely have more incentive to want to uh, go out more often. So that's an interesting concept I hadn't really thought of. Um, Definitely a cool thought there. And, you know, one thing that I'm really concerned about, though, is just the way that these things look. So before coming to Windsor, I was actually in Brampton, Ontario, Mm -hmm. and there was a situation there where somebody wanted to build a house, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever been to Brampton, but it's like... It's kind of like suburbia, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot of the houses kind of look the same. I don't want to say they're cookie cutter, but mm. they're like, you definitely know when you're in Brampton. Let's Absolutely. just say that. Uh-huh. Um, and there was just one house that when you're walking down the street, you know, you see a cute, like whatever, nice house, like brick house, whatever. Then boom, this massive house. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think it was called the Green Giant, but it was this <laughs> massive house. Just didn't look the same as any of the others. And it just threw off the entire, like, for lack of a better word, vibe of the neighborhood. So I just want to see how we can fit container homes into areas that already have traditional housing, you know? I do think, yeah, definitely landowners and homeowners, if they have associations, they are likely to object to this kind of deal. Um, The association with container homes to maybe people of lower income is definitely something that I think could be a stigma towards this because the understanding currently right now, I think with most people is if you have more money, you'd like to get a bigger home. I think that's the trend that most people, at least our parents' generation still subscribes to. Maybe our values are shifting a little bit, but I'm not too certain whether or not, you know, if people want to embrace living in these homes, whether their neighbors would like having what appear to be shipping containers, I believe, um, next to their homes. Would you, if you were a landowner, want to have your parking lot filled with what looks like shipping containers? Yeah, like, just imagine, you know, you wake in the morning, have your morning cup of coffee, open the window, and boom. (laughs) All these shipping containers out there. You'll think you're on a shipyard or something. But I think in the picture, they really somehow try to make these look like those modern homes, you know? So I don't know how they're really going to integrate them into neighborhoods or if they're going to make their own neighborhoods out of these. Like, I would really like to see this. And it's funny that you mentioned that when people sort of get more established and have more money, they want bigger homes. But this whole trend of tiny homes sort of just objects to that whole notion. People are looking for novel ideas all the time. And my biggest fear is that this is starting out to bring cheap and affordable housing. Mm -hmm. But then what happens when the trend becomes everyone wants to live in these container homes and the the demand goes up the price goes up and then the entire purpose of it is just completely ruined you know you're right. you did business so like you could probably talk about this you're right and it definitely when it comes to supply and demand people uh there's room for people to come in and start raising up prices and turning something that was meant to be an accessibility uh item into something that becomes an in-demand item and we've seen this happen historically as well um no need to get into many examples uh necessarily but it is something that could potentially happen. Hopefully, we'd like to see some regulation on this area so that we uh, can keep this as a universal accessibility issue as opposed to a new trend. Because trend makes it seem like the people who have will want to hop on and kind of 
eke out the have-nots. Right, right. So this is a concern. I think we, yeah, we definitely will want to keep an eye out on this. And, you know, you don't need to be a law student or even anyone remotely uh, associated with any kind of law school to be interested in this issue because housing really does affect everyone. And I think our guests today will definitely speak um, a lot about that as well. Um, one thing I did think about, though, was the shipping container homes is the mobility aspect of it. So, you know, many people, when they buy their homes, location, 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 we all talk about that. Of course, yes. <laughs> and then when you think about it, it's like, okay, what if over time locations change, you know, neighborhoods change, or or more importantly, what if something, um, another area of the town is suddenly becoming interesting and you'd like to be part of that? Um, you know, having to move and sell your house definitely uh, makes real estate lawyers happy, but it is quite expensive to be constantly moving around. So what if people who are interested in more of a, um, a freestyle mobile lifestyle would want to invest in these kind of uh, shipping container homes if we assume that they are indeed portable? I don't think they're going to be portable, though, because, you know, they're connected to the, the sewage systems and everything. I and see. they're built. They're built like traditional homes you know they take these boxes or these containers they you know cut holes in them drill things into them do all their you know their construction their bob the builder stuff and i think it really is meant to be there permanently um so yeah it, it would be interesting though if you could see that these were mobile you know yeah, yeah and definitely um some of the ones you've seen on TV, they actually are, are trailers. And they're mobile. You can um, put them on uh, trucks even. Some of them some of them have uh, wheels on the home. So you could uh, just take your pickup and just haul your home wherever you want to go. It's definitely a very interesting lifestyle. And another aspect, I think, about the uh, whole tiny homes uh, thing is that we uh, they're probably a lot more um, environmentally conscious and, and more environmentally friendly than traditional homes in some cases. And, um, and it does encourage... I. I feel like it will encourage a more uh, reusable lifestyle because when your space is more limited, you're more acute of what you do have, acutely aware of what you do have, rather. And um, in this case, if you're more aware of what you're using, what you're um, not using in, in a smaller home, then you're more likely to be environmentally conscious and it helps uh, you manage your carbon footprint. Because in a larger home, there's many things you don't really think about every day and how to use up power and energy. But in a tiny home, more, more things are under your control and you're more aware of the ins and outs. I do think that there is a definitely an environmental focus on this. And I think that as we become more aware of the climate change crisis, this could definitely be something uh, that is interesting for us to consider. Yeah, for sure. You know, because uh, I'm, I'm, I don't like you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there could be that a lot of these containers are uh, recycled to make these houses. You see, they didn't really speak at length of it in the article, but I don't know if they're buying these containers new or if these are old containers that they're just repurposing you know so it all just comes full circle with that right absolutely so, yeah this is this a really good story mark thank you for sharing it with us and i'm sure our viewers have a lot of opinions on this as well so if you're interested in the article where would you be able to find it uh the windsor star yeah it's on the windsor star and i believe the name is builder of city's first shipping container home hopes to solve housing shortage so yeah go check it out it sounds great and it's nice to hear the title of an article without having to fill in a citation at the end too <laughs> so that brings us to our main show for today we have with us our guest olivia pomashba from the home maintenance landlord and tenant responsibilities project under the downtown mission thanks for coming in today olivia thanks so much for having me it's really nice to be here among friends all right so before we actually get into this interview i uh I just want to highlight that I actually know Olivia from undergrad. Um, we had a class together. I think it was um, climate change negotiations, right? Yes, we did. Uh, Mark and I go way back to undergrad. Um, we had climate change politics together, 
And a big part of that class was we each represented a country in climate change negotiations. Um, and that's how I got to know Mark. Um, he represented South Africa and I represented Venezuela in the negotiations. I don't think we butt heads too much, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I got a little bit too into character there. Um, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> so what uh, brought you to law school? Um, well, after uh, I struggled through the LSAT, which I think we can all relate to. Um, yes, retweet. <laughs> yes. I really wanted a career that I could help people, and I also wanted to make use of my argumentative and sometimes critical thinking, and I'm really happy to be here at Windsor Law. I love their social justice focus, and the community here has been really supportive so far. I am in my first year, so... Um, my first impression of Windsor Law is really excellent. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. Why Windsor? Um, I really enjoy um, the benefits of being a border city. So um, there's a lot of clinical opportunities here that you might not get anywhere else. And mostly, I think, once I was here, I realized how special the community is and how supportive Absolutely. everyone is. So uh, when we get a little bit scared in first year or intimidated, it's really nice to be among friends and have a supportive community environment. It's been really fun so far. Yeah, I can really attest to that. The administration here is extremely approachable and they have just been a dream for me. So I guess with that, are you enjoying law school so far? I love it. I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be and I've met so many cool people here so far. Uh, that being said, I am very tired. <laughs> uh, trying to keep up yeah. with readings and everything is, is a challenge, but I'm really loving it. So, Olivia, we actually all just recently finished the uh, Windsor Legal Practice Simulation. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience there with that project? Yes, I had lots of fun this week. Um, specifically, though, I was placed in a firm that was all female. So uh, eight women represented wow. my client this week. And uh, it was super empowering to be with some really uh, articulate and uh, supportive women. And I think we did really well in our negotiations. And I know no one really wins or loses in a situation like we had this week in a dispute like that. But um, I really felt supported and that we represented our client well. And I had lots of fun. <laughs> You know, word on the block, I heard uh, somebody did really well in their interview. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so um, I had my first client interview this week during the simulation, and I really enjoyed um, explaining really complex legal topics to our client, and I loved the human aspect of it. So I think we get caught up in the textbooks and the legislation and the judges, but this week we got to talk about the human side of the law, and all the emotions and nuances um, of our clients and their situations. So I really enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, that sounds good. So for um, those of you who aren't in law school and aren't fully aware of what the WLPS is, basically it's actually a legal simulation that we do where we have um, uh, actors come in to our school uh, acting out the roles of clients and we are asked um, to serve on two different firms, each representing a different party in the negotiations. And we were going to interview our clients, talk with them, make sure we get their list of demands. And at the end of it, we were actually negotiate with our uh, partner firms. So, Olivia, was your firm on the side of the client who was the worker or was your firm on the side of the organization? 
Yeah, we represented the employer in the simulation this week. So um, C-A-A-A-C was our client, and um, we got to look deeper into uh, employment law and the Employment Standards Act, as well as the Ontario Human Rights Code. So it was, um, wow. it was a little bit different from reading it in class, where you have to know it for an exam or an assignment. We really had to know it to help our client. So I felt more motivated to read the law than I think I ever have before. So now that you've kind of experienced uh, labor and employment, um, do you think that's an area that you're interested in? Oh, absolutely. Um, I love getting exposed to different areas of law and seeing where my interests and my strong suits lie. Um, still really not 100% sure what I want to practice, but I think after this week, mm -hmm. uh, I'm more motivated to, to help people and to, um, to practice law that, uh, that helps the public. Cool, yeah. So when you were doing the simulation, what did you say is your favorite part of the whole process? Um, I really enjoyed the client interview and the negotiations. So um, mm -hmm. getting to talk to the other side and getting to see where their positions lie and making a creative compromise that can help both of our clients was really interesting. And I thought it would be more adversarial. I thought we would be fighting with the other side, but we really had common interests. So it was nice to reconcile both of our clients' wants and needs and to help them come to uh, a solution that helps both parties. Absolutely. I think we all agree that with negotiations, there never has to be like a hard winner or loser. And, and people who come in with that stance oftentimes are looking to more often not be the aggressor. And I, I'm glad that our groups, um, we weren't paired together per se, but um, overall, I think both of the people in our year were able to reach um, great compromises that both clients were satisfied with. So that was a great experience for all of us as well. Uh, Mark, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience with WPS as well? Yeah, it was it was pretty cool, you know. Um, I think that I had a very strong bunch going into it. Uh, you know, hearing about it from upper years, I was like, oh, I kind of wish I had a reading week. Um, this is going to be such a tough week, you know. We're doing real client work, right, when I just <laughs> really want to sleep, you know. But I got there, and I saw the people that I was paired with. Um, even my supervisor, she would show up and just, I don't know, inspire us each and every day. So it became something that I actually looked forward to every day. And there are definitely a lot of things from this uh, simulation that I'm going to carry on with me for the rest of my uh, law school career and hopefully the rest of my legal career. Awesome. I'm really glad that we were able to do this. And I'd like to also thank uh, Professor Semple and his assistant, Flora Wu, uh, for helping organize this entire project, as well as all the other faculty, facilitators, and the actors that were hired. Um, definitely, it was a fun experience um, from all of us. So we'd like to give you guys all a shout out on our show. So at this point, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio after some messages from our sponsors. The Windsor Youth Center is a free drop-in community center for homeless and at-risk youth in the Windsor-Essex area. The WYC assists people with many important things, such as replacing identification, resume writing, as well as providing meals, snacks, and a safe space for youth to come together. The Windsor Youth Center is located at 1247 Wyandotte Street East and is open Monday to Friday from 5 p.m. until 10 p.m. For more information, visit their website at downtownmission.com under the services or give them a call at 226-674-0006. CJAM 99.1 FM now reaching higher ground in Windsor, Detroit. 
CGM broadcasts at 2,084 watts from the University of Windsor locally at 99.1 FM and to the world at cgm.ca. CGM can also be heard at Kojiko Cable 285. But however you tune in to the only true sound alternative in Windsor, Detroit, just keep it right here. CJAM 99.1 FM, Windsor, Detroit. And we're back. You're listening to CJAM 99.1 Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio. Before the break, we were discussing the Landlord and Tenant Responsibilities Project with our guest, Olivia. Welcome back, Olivia. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So can you tell us just a little bit more about your project and the downtown mission? Absolutely. I'm so excited about this project and I'm really happy to talk about it. So we've partnered with the downtown mission to provide some legal um, information to uh, the clients at the downtown mission, specifically about uh, housing and landlord issues. So essentially what our project is, is some posters and promotional material at the downtown mission to help address some of the common questions that the workers at the downtown mission get from clients, specifically those people experiencing marginal housing or experiencing homelessness. It's really cool. Was this a project that you kind of knew that you wanted to do or did it just plop in your lap? Well, I'm really excited to um, use some of my legal knowledge for good. So pro bono was um, a really clear choice. And uh, I have a little bit of experience with landlord tenant issues. I mean, for all of my undergrad and here in law school, I am a renting myself so I am a tenant currently and um, during my undergrad I was part of a mentorship group and I just found a lot of our mentees were experiencing issues and feeling pressure from local landlords maybe pressure to rent or they were being asked really specific questions Um, and I don't think that people feel empowered. Uh, The legal language surrounding Mm landlord-tenant issues um, is pretty intimidating as well. Um, It's very personal to have someone having dominion and agency over the place that you live, over your home. So um, it's pretty intimidating for students to rent and that continues into adulthood, especially people on um, social assistance or experiencing marginal housing. Uh, It's a pretty difficult thing to manage. So that's why I'm hoping to um, use this project to help inform some of the people in my community. Absolutely. That's very interesting. So I heard that there's a bit of a maintenance aspect to your project, specifically regarding responsibilities in that area. Can you perhaps elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of our project is helping inform tenants or people seeking housing about their rights because they do have rights. Um, Some people don't realize that or even are aware of what their rights are, but uh, they do exist. And um, part of our project is informing people about their responsibilities as a tenant. So this relationship goes both ways. They have um, some responsibilities in their unit as well as responsibilities to inform their landlord about any maintenance issues that might arise. Um, So we just want the relationship to be respectful and for both parties to be clear on what their job is in that relationship. That's really cool. So, So a lot of this is you really informing the public and providing that information to them. Um, But I just wanted to know, what has this project done for you? Like, how have you learned from this? 
Absolutely. So um, through this project, I got to read the Residential Tenancies Act, which is the piece of law that governs the landlord-tenant relationships. So that's particularly relevant to me because I am a tenant myself. So I got to learn some of my rights that I didn't know. And I think it's important to um, be aware of the laws that govern um, your life and the things like surrounding like my housing and my relationship with my landlord it's been super illuminating and, and is really uh is really relevant i think to a lot of students too absolutely so can you perhaps talk to us a little bit more about how certain categories of people tend to be more affected by landlord tenant issues uh, well specifically landlords and tenants um, but specifically certain demographics and maybe groups of people that might be more vulnerable or marginalized uh, you know, because here at Windsor, we have our social justice focus, and we'd love to hear about how our students are actively helping those in the community uh, deal with access to justice issues. Yeah, um, absolutely. We got to um, have the pleasure of learning at the Downtown Mission through Danielle, who is a social worker who works at the mission and is a liaison for our project. So she illuminated the um, populations of people that use the services at the mission. So the mission has housing there, temporary emergency housing at the mission. Um, they also have meal service and um, workshops for clients um, in the downtown area and throughout Windsor. So she expressed to us that a lot of the clients that they um, serve at the mission are experiencing homelessness or marginal housing which when you don't have a roof over your head or somewhere to sleep or somewhere to call home, it really affects every area of your life. Um, I think we can all relate to that when we've had like a rough day, a long day, or we're upset. The best thing to do is, is to come home and it's a safe place. But if you don't have that, it, um, it really reaches to every area of your life. Um, as well, a lot of the people, uh, the clients at the mission um, are experiencing some mental health struggles as well as addiction and um, maybe have uh, some experience with um, landlord disputes in the past that maybe have them have a sour relationship with um, the idea of a landlord governing uh, their housing. Absolutely. So um, we're just, we're cognizant of that as well. Windsor is a really diverse community. So there's a lot of um, different cultures and um, maybe even some new Canadians uh, who need housing as well as anyone else here yeah. so we um we are really grateful for the workers at the mission who have um really taught us a lot about uh the clients that they serve wow that's that's really interesting i didn't i didn't know that the the issues regarding housing was so far spread so with that being said what what are some issues that come across with housing that people just don't really know about yeah, absolutely. Um, there's so many. <laughs> um, and this project is only three people. I'll give a shout out to um, Alesha and Ahmed, who are my partners in this project. Um, they're two L's, so I've learned a lot from them. And they're also both really passionate about housing. So um, I'm really just happy to um, be here talking to you guys and representing them. They've been awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so... Uh, Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> the VCs. Uh, tell us a bit about your uh, volunteer coordinator as well. Oh, yeah. So our volunteer coordinator, um, we have Ryan, who's been helping us, as well as Danielle at the mission. And then um, our lawyer, who is Nadia, who's really helped us um, give some perspective uh, on the issues that she faces as a lawyer downtown uh, and some of the communities that she serves as well. 
Awesome. Yeah. So back to the back to the question. It was um, what are some issues that people just don't really know about when it comes to housing? Yes, yes, absolutely. So um, our project focuses um, on people seeking housing, um, specifically my part of the project is what kind of questions is a landlord allowed to ask you and allowed to, um, well, they're not allowed to discriminate against you. So um, most specifically, uh, we have a lot of people at the downtown mission who primarily we're serving here who are on social assistance. And it's um, in the law that the landlords, if you're seeking housing, cannot discriminate against you based on uh, your status in social assistance. So some people don't know that. Um, they can't discriminate against you based on your race or creed or sexual orientation, as well as um, your status on social assistance. So how often do you think these issues come uh, come around in typical landlord-tenant uh, arrangements? Uh, all the time, and especially um, the community um, through the downtown mission who we're serving mm -hmm. uh, experience marginal housing. So they're bouncing around from unit to unit and from different landlords. So just the f they're always in flux, and I think they're um, seeking housing more often if they're like changing their situation. So there's a lot of issues surrounding landlords asking about social assistance and things of that nature. And I'd love for the community to know that they can't discriminate against them based on that. Yeah. So during my undergrad, I actually um, I was fortunate enough to only have to rent um, from the uh, private market once. Um, I was in residence for the first two years and then in my fourth year my aunt reached out and was like hey do you want to live with me and of course I took that opportunity. Um, but even in my one year there uh, there was a lot that I really learned and just a lot that I just knew I didn't know. So like I guess my question is is like post-secondary students a lot of us do live in rental units. I'm sure that anyone who's went to school away from home has uh, rented at least an apartment, a house or something. So do you there. think that the average student knows enough about their rights as a renter? I would say pretty universally no. Um, unfortunately, um, with projects like this, we can help to illuminate some of those rights. But when you're renting as a student, um, I mean, me specifically, I went away when I was 18. So it was pr I was pretty young uh, um, renting. And this legal contract, I think, was one of the first big adult decisions that I had to make. I had to go look at units. I had to go find some friends to live with. And I think it's super intimidating as a young person. You have school going on. You have a hundred other things that you need to be doing. <laughs> if you're me, you're always in the back of your mind thinking about how am I going to make it to law school when I'm in my undergrad. So um, this contract that we have to sign, again, um, is our home while we're at school. And someone else has agency over that. And there's someone else controlling that. And I'm without my parents, I'm the one who's advocating for myself. So I hope that students realize that the contract that they're signing is really significant, but that they also have so many rights. Um, and I think most specifically though, the legal language in uh, all the leases that are signed is super intimidating for someone who doesn't yet know the law yes. or someone who's you know, not super comfortable with like really complicated language, but I would encourage any students listening to have a read of your lease um, of all the things you've signed. Um, or even I would encourage them to visit the Legal Assistance Windsor Project 
um, which is um, legal assistance in downtown. So you have to take the bus downtown to find it. But um, there's services there that will help you um, if you have any disputes with your landlords. Uh, they're there to serve the student community. So I would implore um, any students listening to make use of that and have a read of your lease because it is it's in English. It's pretty complicated, but um, just to begin that uh, self advocacy uh, is important uh, in issues like landlord tenant stuff. That's in really interesting that you say that even students don't necessarily know about their rights. So that just made me think about it. If there are so many marginalized people out there who don't have the same resources that students do, for example, we have, I, I know uh, at some schools, they have a lot of um, programs that actually help uh, undergrads and graduate students find housing there. There's a lot of resources on campus. Um, there's a lot of resources in the city of Windsor. But for us as students who are aware of that and are able to access that and we still don't know about our rights that's that's very scary for the rest of the people um so i guess my follow-up to that would be where can students look to learn more about their rights yeah so like i said legal check out legal assistance windsor check out their website um they're there to serve the students um and make use of those of those resources that you have while you're in school um as well my suggestion would be to look up CLEO, which is the Community Legal Education of Ontario. They have some really, really great resources for anyone um, who's looking to learn more about the law. So obviously to my project, the, the housing section of CLEO is super relevant. And they ask really in plain English, um, they explain the law uh, really specifically. Um, so it's very readable and very accessible. It's not thousands of pages of legal jargon and mm -hmm. may it please the court. None of that. Mm -hmm. It's um, really simple language. So check out Clio. And I mean, further than just housing, Clio has resources of all of the laws in Ontario. So um, any really area that you're interested in learning about, again, in super readable plain english that's where that's where i'd send you awesome yeah because um you mentioned earlier you talked about uh the residential tenancy agreement and you know sort of the challenge of decoding legal language so i know um us three here specifically we're privileged that we're able to attend law school so we have a lot of resources available to us but i think it was great for you to talk about how people who you know students and everyone else who has access to the internet really who doesn't necessarily have access to law school can still find all the information that they need to get any kind of um knowledge even on how to deal with their landlords um in these agreements so I'd also like to ask you maybe perhaps personally about how maybe you have felt this project has helped individual members of the community. Are there some anecdotes that you can maybe share with us about people that you've had a chance to listen to their stories or give them some help in their uh, journey? Yeah, absolutely. So we're actually scheduled to attend the mission uh, this upcoming week. So we're going to get to hear from uh, some individual clients at the mission about their experience in uh they're ha they're seeking housing and um maybe find out some some faq frequently asked questions that they have for us and although we um i would love to help each and every one of them and follow through we hope that we can have uh develop some resources so this year um, our project is three different posters about um some uh questions that come up in um in our in our uh, interviews at the mission so i'm really looking forward to that to learning about um 
some of the stories of the people there and how we can help and how we can decode some of the fancy legal jargon to be um, really simple and to uh, be accessible to the population that we serve. So before we take a quick little break, I just wanted to ask one more question. Um, Do you think you'll do this again next year? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I would love to continue. This project is super important to me. Um, And I think that landlord-tenant issues don't go away. This is not something that we can solve in one year with three of us. But um, it really hits close to home, and I'm really excited to continue with this project. Awesome. All right, so we're going to take a moment now to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with you here on 99.1 CJAM. Have you ever thought about volunteering with CJAM FM? Why haven't you? Volunteering isn't limited to students. Anyone from the community can come into the station and start their very own program. All you need are a pair of headphones and the enthusiasm to learn. So get involved right here in your community with a topical spoken word show or music program where you choose the content. Email programcjam at gmail.com or come on down to the station. We're located on the University of Windsor campus in the basement of the CAW Student Center. Find out more information about how you can volunteer at cjam.ca. And we're back again. You're listening to CJAM 99.1 Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio. So before the break, Victor and I were talking to Olivia about the Landlord-Tenant Project. We were discussing issues around housing and um, how certain people aren't aware of their rights and just the kind of things that the project has been doing um, lately in Windsor. So just for everyone tuning in, uh, could you give everyone a quick recap of what we just discussed, Olivia? Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking about uh, something that's very important to me, which is the Landlord-Tenant Project. So I've been talking about uh, the community that we serve at the Downtown Mission, who are um, people who are experiencing maybe marginal housing or experiencing homelessness. And we also talked about um, the importance of understanding your legal rights as a tenant and your responsibilities as a tenant. So I've... um, highlighted our incredible projects locally. So the Legal Assistance Windsor Project that can help students with um, any disputes they might have. And as well, online resources like Clio, which is the Community Legal Education of Ontario, which has some awesome plain English explanations of, uh, of landlord-tenant and housing issues. Awesome. So Olivia, I wanted to ask a little bit about uh, the decision here specifically at Windsor. So I know many of the student body here isn't necessarily from the town. So have you been able to get any insight on any unique challenges uh, to housing at Windsor specifically? Yeah, like many students here, um, I'm an import, so I did not grow up in Windsor. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm a tenant here too, so I uh, rent in the city. And I've found um, just in the last few years, I think we've noticed a trend of rental properties are becoming more expensive. So I think five or 10 years ago, it was um, more reasonable to rent in Windsor. And um, as the university grows and uh, our programs grow, like the law school, which is an incredible program uh, that I love, obviously I'm here. So um, that program grows every year as well as their other programs. So there's more students renting than ever. And um, as industry in Windsor grows, there's um, more people renting. So I think that lends itself to um, the increased cost of housing. And as well, um, 
we learned from our supervising lawyer on this project that there is a really intense housing shortage in the city of Windsor. So there's too many people and not enough housing. So that gives landlords um, a lot of discretion in renting, which is where we sometimes find uh, cases of discrimination against people if they're on social assistance or if they're um, religion or sexual orientation or anything of that nature. Um, the housing shortage uh, keeps uh, people really vulnerable, uh, especially the uh, vulnerable communities that we uh, serve at the mission. Wow. So just thank you again for uh, coming on the show with us. Um, this is Victor and I's first episode. So, you know, mm-hmm. we're, it's all a learning curve for us. Um, but before we let you go, I just want to ask you just one last question. Would you live in one of the like box containers that we spoke about earlier in the podcast? Yes. And before I answer, you guys have been doing great so far. Oh, this is an awesome program. And I'm so happy to be here among friends. Um, you guys made it a lot less nerve wracking for me. So that's awesome. And in terms of the container housing, I definitely would take that up. I feel like it would be an adventure. Um, and like I said, it's really hard to find housing in Windsor. It was really tough um, for me to find housing uh, in the summer before I started at law school. And I currently live with five other roommates. So space is an issue. So I would definitely think about one of these container houses. And I think it's super responsible um, environmentally to live Absolutely. in um, in a small area. Uh, we all don't need sprawling lawns and a lot of space. So I think it's super responsible um, and really innovative, uh, these really cool container housing. So I would, I, w- I would look into it for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show today. From all of us here at Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio, we'd like to extend our warmest gratitude and thanks to our guest, Olivia, for coming in today. We wish you and your other project members great success. We look forward to seeing the results of all your hard work. Remember to tune in to CJM 99.1 every Friday at 12 for our next Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio Show. You can listen anytime, anywhere by going to cjam.ca. Your hosts next week will be Charles and Nicholas. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.
stay for you me I'll say it's gonna put some love in your life Don't you really wanna know how it feel Everybody wanna see what it's like We even wanna be inside It ain't lies We all know there's better things in this life Put your 